welcome to the first episode of CruxCast. This podcast features high-quality discussions about reimagining the role and use of media, which includes the vision for the future of media through the very important Black perspective, which of course includes but is not limited to virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, 360 video, immersive storytelling, and XR, amongst many, many other things. I am Tunisia, a proud member of Crux, and I have the pleasure of being with my co-pilot for this episode, Joanna. What's happening, girl? What's up? I'm Joanna. I'm also a member of Crux, and I'm very excited to have this conversation. What is Crux? You may be asking yourself. Crux is a cooperative on a mission to build an XR movement that lifts Black artists up rather than grows on the back of our brilliance. Crux stands on core values rooted in liberation, theology, and are a counter-narrative to traditional ways of building a revenue-driven business. And as members in this company, we've launched this podcast to hold dialogues with Black creators and leaders in this space and share it with the world. No doubt, no doubt. And the theme of this first episode is all about unleashing Black imagination. Now, we're going to dive into this and explore it deeper in our featured guest interview segment, which is coming up in a little bit, which, spoiler alert, is with the co-founder and brains behind Crux, Lauren Ruffin. But before we get into that conversation, Joanna, let me ask you, what does unleashing Black imagination mean to you? Wow, that's a great question. To me, unleashing the Black imagination means providing us the ability to be free. Freedom. Mm. Mm. Uh, the lack of restraints on what we should or should not be creating, mm. um, which tends to be the way others <laughs> try to dictate to us um what we are allowed to make and what we're not allowed to make and even tell us how we're supposed to tell our own stories Mm -hmm. so i think that's what it means to me i love that. what about you no i love that freedom is the word it's freeing it's having that ability to flex your imagination to express yourselves and your passions for whatever it is in whatever space, because we should not be constrained to just one particular image. We shouldn't be tied and bonded to these, you know, discriminatory social constructs. It was like, oh, the, the black person in horror is supposed to die first, right? Like you automatically think that. Exactly. All, like, psych, no, we're going to do it ourselves. Like we should not be you know, constrained to these and tied to these narratives and social constructs that are that are old and and outdated and wrong. And so unleashing black imagination, you said it, it's freeing to me. It's having that, the opportunity to have the resources, have the power, have the support to flex our imagination and do it without any, do it freely without any ramifications. I'm not bothered by you. Exactly. (laughs) You know, I'm not doing this for your, you know, entertainment, like this is for us. This is for me. I am allowed to do this because I want, you know what I mean? So there's, right. yeah, I think that's, that's a big piece of it. It's liberating. It's freeing. Yep. 
no doubt. So like we can go on and on about this, but let's curb what our thoughts are about it for just a moment because we're going to get to this interview. So with keep those things in mind though that we just talked about freedom, liberation, social constructs and narratives and what does this stuff mean for us and for other marginalized groups. So keep all that stuff in mind when you listen to this. So without further ado, here is our interview with co-founder of Crux, Lauren Ruffin. Ruffin, thank you for coming on the podcast. No, thank you for hosting me. I'm really excited to, to be here. Yes. Hey, glad to have you. In your own words, though, how would you describe what you do? Yeah. Um, well, I have a, before that, I have a title. What is? Which is mm-hmm. the Duke of Nonsense. There we go. That's my secret title. Because uh, like most of what I do is kind of like, the nonsense that like anybody could do, but no one else has like the threshold to deal with. Um, and I just, you know, like I just let the brilliant people drive, which is why we're doing this podcast. Like I, I did not consent to this except that I'm here, you know, like. <laughs> You're like, I'm just here. I just, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just here. And other people tell me what to do. And in theory, they like to like blame shit on me because I'm the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I'm not, it's really just about like facilitating or, like, you know, creating a canvas for everybody else to paint on. So you're a creator, uh, a canvas maker. Yes. You know, the base level, no one thinks about it, but it's just about some glue and some, some God chopped down trees. <laughs> <laughs> Figuratively. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I do a little bit of everything kind of, except like actually the client facing stuff. Cause like, I'm not a creator. I can barely write my name and we're surrounded at Crux with like all these fantastic like visual artists and animators and filmmakers and, you know, talkers and writers. And it really is about like building a container for them to thrive in. Mm -hmm. And so was that your vision in creating Crux? When did you start Crux or have, what was the idea that you had in your mind that was like, you know what, there's so much brilliance around me. How do I, I really need to start putting this together. Okay. So this is how Crux happened. This is the real story. Are you ready? Yes. Nope. Are you ready for it? Maybe. Like, yes. Okay. Alcohol. <laughs> uh, brown Alcohol. or beer? Wine. wine. Boxed? Wine. I can't drink. I can't drink brown mm-hmm. liquor anymore. Can you? Not I anymore. can't do it either. Yeah, I can't. No, you hit. No brown liquor. Yeah, you hit 35 and that's. Yeah, Done. I stopped. I was Canadian club and brown and whiskey and stuff for a long Ooh. time. But yeah, I drank like a like a seven, retired Ooh. white man uh, for a long time. But I stopped. Yeah, about 32. Yeah, but it's like I fell in love with VR when the New York Times um, sent out a Google, a Google Cardboard like in 2014 or 2015, maybe. And I was like, this is a really, really amazing medium for people. And I was like working at a homeless shelter, didn't really, you know, played around with like giving kids that we were working with some 360 cameras. Um, but started working at Fractured Atlas and got a chance to like go to big film festivals. So I was, you know, Sundance, Tribeca, um, you know, was really paying attention to the medium because we were sponsoring projects that were, um, that were VR projects. And I'm like in there noticing that like, you know, black led projects and, and VR films, were being made by women of color, like, you know, maybe with $75,000 raised. And then they were like brilliant pieces that like really demonstrated early, um, 
and again, like the form in terms of storytelling has come a little bit further, but like, mm-hmm. it's still like, we're still like really in the nascent stages even now, like six years later. Um, but they had started to sort of show like what it would look like for plot and character development. Um, how could you push the boundaries of the form in terms of creating environments that like we're never going to experience here on, on planet earth. Um, and they'd be next to like, you know, a group of white guys who like did like a piece of like, I don't know, like cactus, <laughs> you know, like it was, so you have like, like Afrofuturistic exhibits with like, you know, product mm-hmm. and everything else. And I'm, this is shout out to hyphen labs. Um, but like, you know, fantastic. Like when we look back in, you know, 50 years, we'll be like, that was the piece. Right. Created the brilliance of the form. And they would be next to people who are like, what would it be like to be a plant in the desert? Like, <laughs> <laughs> No, like, is that the best use of this technology? And like the six figures you raised, like a quarter million dollars for that cactus. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, and then I did what any rational person does, which is like, you look around and you're like, is somebody else going to do this? Like, Hey, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> Hey, I, I see this thing that's like not good and somebody's got to fix it. And then you realize that like you're talking to people and they're like, yeah, somebody's got to mm-hmm. Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? Sounds like a great idea. Right? Yeah, it's a great idea. And then it's like, oh shit, like right, right. Yeah. So um yeah, and then wine. You know, I went up to Hudson and cracked open a bottle of wine and more wine and like wrote uh I don't think you've seen it, but like the really, really early logo and like the idea for what Crux was, which was a lot different than what it is now. Um mm-hmm which was we were really thinking about how the medium could bring together black arts organizations, which, you know, there's no reason why, you know, every black theater or black dance company in the United States should have its own director of development. <laughs> like right. there are a lot of redundancies in the back office. And I was like, let's, you know, bring people together, have them share some of these back office tasks. And, um, and from there, you know, the excess there you could use to fund exponential pro- like projects that had exponential revenue, like, VR games, right? Generally, you know, like just take some of this revenue and invest it in something different. Um, and that that was like the early stages of like what Crux has become. We obviously like we're not doing that anymore, but the basic premise is still similar, which is about cooperation, about like building an organization that can scale without having to really like scale with people and like back office staff, which gets really expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and investing in projects that can. Um, create a really really long tail of revenue so in the same way the gaming industry is like people think like pokemon go is like oh that was like five years ago people are still playing that game and it's still kicking off a ton of revenue every year Uh so when you look over the life of that project it's been like multiple billions of dollars um not just that first year or the first couple days so and inherent that is the problem with you know theater and dance and so many traditional arts you know forms which you know heavily relying on labor on physical spaces and on how many shows you can fit within a union contract. Uh, yeah. Right. 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 So you, so you drink this wine and you come up with this idea and, and then what do you do? How do people respond to it? <laughs> I think um, my co-founder Dafina and I probably got laughed out of rooms for, you know, at least 18 months. Get out. Yeah. I mean, so this is 26, 20- 17 you know, damn 2018 wow. um and we you know we found i think we got 
better at talking about it. We eventually gave up on black arts organizations. Um, and I don't mean like gave up from like a, from the heart place. I mean, gave up on the, you know, we could probably find a more direct way to do this that would demonstrate value. And then eventually they get on board. Um, and then we had a, a foundation come in and invest in us, which allowed us to really do the convening piece. So we did um, a couple of investor artist salons in 2019. Um, and then right before the pandemic, at the end of 2019, did our first convening here in New Mexico, um, which is where like we really started to see like for us, it was like, how do we bring this community together as well? Um, because there were people doing really brilliant work and we're working with some of them now, you know, Mark was there and, you know, Mark is a brilliant, is, is a brilliant digital creator. And, you know, we had Tahir Hemphill who, um, you know, did the, um, uh, the Mapper's Delight, Rapper's Delight, um, which is like a, an AR map of, you know, words in hip hop songs. Um, so like all these people who were like pioneering in the space we were able to bring together and they met each other for the first time. And that just created a lot of energy around what we were trying to build. Right. And that was really through that annual, like the unconference, right? Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just like 48 hours unplanned. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's a little, people were like, we're not, you don't have an agenda. And I was like, no, I got people. Let's see what y'all want to talk about. Like I actually want, like, I don't have the patience to control people. <laughs> like I have no interest in that. Um, and it's like, you're all these brilliant people together. Like mm -hmm. there's no way I come up with a schedule or an agenda or some like workshops, like, y'all might as well figure it out on the fly and see what you want to talk about. And, you know, that to me felt like a much more democratic way of doing a convening. Mm -hmm. um, plus, you know, black folks like to self-organize. Like we just want to hang out and not have, like, we want to spend an extra, you know, 90 minutes having this conversation. We're going to do that. So why even pretend like, like I, I'm having any control over how people are going to spend their time when they like each other, you know? Right. right. And, and schedule bathroom breaks and lunch and agendas and all this type of stuff. Please go to the bathroom when you want to. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Respect biology and yeah. go. <laughs> that just sounds so, it's so unconventional, but innovating brilliance, right? It's like, oh my God, just getting people together without an agenda. The fact that everybody was so surprised in that, and I was like, nah, like, let's just, let's, let's kick it. What you want to do? Yeah. You know, and that. We just pay people to come. We, you know, flights, hotel, food. We just like mm -hmm. no barriers. So just like come. And that's the freeing part of not like in the expectation, like, oh, okay, we have to come here, wear a particular face and wear all the hats. And you know what I mean? Like the way that people go to traditional conferences and conventions and shit like that. But it's like, no, this is like, yeah, it's that unconference, that unconventional format of creativity and expression, which I think it, it lends into what you've always founded Crux to be a part in terms of like its values and standing in like that liber like liberation theology and that type of stuff, right? Like Joanna and I were rapping earlier about what unleashing black imagination means to us. And the common, the shared words that we thought, those shared concepts and themes, freedom and just free expression, like no barriers, no constraints. I'm not, right. you know, black people don't have to die first in horror movies. Right. Like it's, you know, it's like a very just, no, we can do right. whatever we want. Right. And we speak in complete sentences, you know what I mean? Like a lot of these tropes that continue to, pop up are so old, they're decades old and they, they stem from the forties and fifties and they're still circulating. So we, we want, we want to do what we want to do and create what we want to create. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, the other thing is like, I'm like personally such a fun junkie that like, you know, even as we grew last year and I was like, man, we don't have any money. And I was like, well, we're just paying people that we like to work with to like have jobs during a pandemic. Because the bulk of the folks who started working for us last year were people who have been laid off from like, you know, I mean, 2020 was such an interesting year. Like I like, you know, March was just me getting calls from people being like, I got laid off. I got laid off. You know, last time I saw you in Albuquerque, I can't believe I wouldn't have a job. Like it was just, it was like, like a month of just shock. Um, And I am, I'm like such a, yeah, it was like, it was really wild. And Joy and I remember like we connected, you know, sort of talking about, about some of that stuff. um, Right. Active learning, just like the, we've not had a pause yet to think about how, you know, we talk about grief in terms of like 2020 and the pandemic and people like dying and George Floyd, but like, for those of us who are still here and like the number of people that who just like lost their jobs and their livelihood and like that level of stress and anxiety, I think it kind of got lost. Like what April and May felt like for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was when we really, I was like, well, people are calling me, asking me to do stuff and it's not what I thought crooks would be doing. This is most certainly not VR work, but I was like, but you know, I get an email from this person who wants us to do an event and I got, just got off the phone with with Joe who just got laid off and I'm like well let's see if Joe wants to do an event and I can you know like mm-hmm. that's right. really how, how it like started and I was like and let's have fun doing it like because it last year was really really heavy and we've not really like stopped to think about that but I just kept being like how can I be as fucking ridiculous as possible so people can just smile because <laughs> it was right you know, I'm going from meeting to meeting to panel to event where it's like people were just devastated. Um, and so um, I think and like our liberation has to be joy and like, yeah, freedom, but like, you know, just some joy and like some fun and like, what could it look like if just people who like each other got to work together? Yep. Bring yep. the fun back. You know, you know, and thinking about what you said about um, the unconference and the opportunities that came your direction to Crux's direction and the way that people were laid off and being able to work. It's got me thinking about um, the financial, the financial issues that sometimes constrict our creativity and constrict us in so many ways. And having this opportunity to work and to make you, it makes you feel like you're, you're creating something, you're contributing to something, and that does so much for you mentally. Um, so I'm just shouting you out for taking that work and getting people back to work because, you know, not working is not a good thing. It makes people yeah. feel horribly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it. And I mean, it's terrifying also. Like, yes. I mean, it's like they're the, and this is not like a, I feel like we talk about, and the other thing about the co-op is like, we talk about money pretty freely. Um, <laughs> like cash flow is a constant, like the commitment to pay, like the radical commitment to paying black people well for their hours. Like even mm-hmm. when it's a stupid ass business decision, cause it is, um, <laughs> you know, like, like that. You know, it was funny. Someone was asking me, like, you pay people what? And I was like, listen, the worst thing that happens is Crux doesn't survive. I've made a whole bunch of new friends and I paid black people 
what like what they deserve during a pandemic. Like to me, like that's just like that's the worst case scenario. Um, right. But I think one of the things that I was talking to a friend a couple hours ago, and I was just like, "Yo, like the level of communication it takes to manage cash flow as a business, as a cooperative, to give people not give people because it's funny. Like I'm, I'm always getting like one on one, being like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And I'm like, "You like it? Then do it." <laughs> You know, like, right. um, you know, like it's, it's an interesting way of working. And, you know, Joni, you were joking about like working on the plantation before we started the podcast. Right. But, like, that is like, that's such a deep way of thinking about work. Um, and like, you know, that's I how, it's, it's how it feels, right? That's how it feels. I mean, you know, you're, you're working for corporations that you literally, and I've seen this, um, you drop dead and people drop dead and they just kind of step over you and just, you know, it's business as usual. No one cares. Someone that I used to work with at Fractured Atlas wrote a post on Twitter talking about like, you work for Jaws where they've like put up the black square for Black Lives Matter. And don't forget, like, January 6th, y'all were asking us about, like, OKRs and, you know, deadlines and shit. And a coup was happening. And mm-hmm. I just, that to me just doesn't seem like why we're here. Like, I don't think that's our purpose. Um, no. And I don't, I don't get it. I, I also don't think it's fun to manage people that way. Like, as someone who is now managing teams, like, there's no fun in managing that way. No. But right. for them, it's really not about fun. Yeah. It's about it's about controlling people and making sure that power structure remains intact. Yeah. Like I think that's one thing that has come out of the pandemic is that at least we're redefining and like reemphasizing, yo, work doesn't mean being anchored 40 hours next to some water cooler in a cubicle or whatever. You know what I mean? School don't mean being anchored to a desk that don't fit where there's gum underneath it and Ooh. like it's you know like these these are we're obviously figuring out that or some people for the first time, like, yeah, like this stuff doesn't require all of this traditional things. And maybe the way it's always done was whack and wrong to begin with. Yeah, for real. So we should radically reinvent and like, you know, reinforce that creativity and work and expression and these whatever definitions of what a professional means and what a student means and what a friend and lover and all these things means can be whatever you want it to be and whatever you need it to be. Yeah. That's right. That's perfectly said. Perfectly said. I I think we need to move the conversation forward now a little bit and talk about accessibility, um, wow. and and how XR can be daunting for creators and consumers, just based on the cost, tech literacy, and the cost of the hardware it 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 takes to create these these experiences. So um, in your opinion, for for consumers, how do we make sure that they don't get left behind? Yeah. I mean, I think it's also important to think about where, like where we sit in terms of like the overall timeline of, of media and of, of VR technology, right? Like it's still so early. Um, you know, we just last fall probably had the first, you know, high quality price point viable headset released. Um, 
in the Oculus Quest, there are a lot of concerns about Oculus, obviously, like around data protection and, you know, requiring a Facebook login and everything else. But I think we're still like, we're six months into actually having a viable option. Um, everything else before that was like Zach Morris's flip phone, you know, like, <laughs> like it just really wasn't a viable, like there's a reason why everybody didn't have those. Um, I mean, there's a marketing piece too. Um, but then there's the long picture, which is less about VR right now and more about making sure that like black folks are, um, are around to think about spatial computing. Um, because that, like, that's how we're going to be interacting with data and with computers, um, moving forward. It's going to be, you know, in a headset or with wearables. Um, and that's awesome and terrifying. Um, and it's not accessible right now on purpose, right? Like, you know, we don't have the infrastructure in the United States in terms of, um, internet access for everyone. Um, there's a lot to happen accessibility in terms of like the disability community. Um, we've got some programs like Altspace that um, where you're there, they've been testing, you know, live captions in VR, which is, you know, fantastic. <laughs> um, but I, I think there's, we're still like the really, really early days. And the further I, the further I get into the XR space, the more I think about something that I think Kamal Sinclair said, um, and Kamal's done some fantastic work Um uh, making a new reality um, and run skill to future architects now, but sort of talking about the history of how humans have interacted with objects and with media around them. And we've always been pretty tactile. Um, and when you think about like the entire span of human history, we had media that we made and we picked up, and we handed it to someone else, we handed it to someone else who sold it or, you know, whatever. We've always been 3D oriented. And then we've had this random irregularity of about a hundred years of, of flat screens. <laughs> and it, you know, like in the arc, like if once we get past this flat screen arc, we're going to, in some ways, return to where we've always been um, in terms of really interacting with, with 3D objects. So, I mean, I think it's less important that people have access to headsets. I think that's part of it, but really, you know, to make sure that there is a cadre of competent black people um, and, and like sort of people who are thinking about embedding equity and accessibility. The fact that you're asking that question, I think, is, uh -huh. is really important. Like, even if we don't get there now, it's it's sort of the fact that we keep asking. Like, we're constantly the ones who are like, I'm talking to clients. Like, well, we could do this, but we want to make sure it's available on a whole bunch of different screens. We want to make sure it's captioned. Or have you thought about ASL interpreters and all that stuff? Like, just our being that presence in the room, I think, is really really important in terms of shaping how the space develops. How do we get? other voices and talent recognized in these new spaces on the creation side? I mean, we got to fund it, right? But there's the education piece, but then there's the funding piece. And, you know, that's why I'm really excited about, you know, where Crux is hopefully going, you know, as we, as I'm like really hitting the ground fundraising for the first time, because I haven't really ever fundraised. Um, you know, we're tackling the the front end around like financing and, and you know, like to Tanisha's question earlier about like, you know, what do we want to make? Like, what's the new content that we want to just sort of originate and make? But then on the back end, like, people aren't going to make stuff unless they get profit from it. So, like, we've got mm -hmm. to figure out, you know, getting back to where we were in 2019, which is really about distribution. Like, we we really wanted to, like, aggregate content and distribute it and become, like, the place to go for, you know, representative content in, in the XR space. Um, 
And so once we can figure out a way for creators to monetize it, we can, you know, necessarily the funding will come um, and then we'll also be able to generate revenue on the back end. Right. Because I think the, the a key piece in that, too, is if we want to be able to monetize content, that means people need to consume said content. So how do people consume that content? But making it accessible, right? And then aside from the distribution of that content, what is in that content, right? It's it's the storytelling. So it's I'm always going to be a storytelling whore and just, just harp on we need to have experiences like technology should be always considered like a utility to the experience mm -hmm. it's like that whole marshall McLuhan thing the medium the message it's like sometimes we can't just focus on the tool like hey look at what i built okay but what is it going to show me yeah what is it good for it has to be a tool to something greater so to a different experience a new way of strengthening your a fandom or your affiliation to something it's to reclaim and revisit a, a part of your ancestry that was you know obviously generations prior to you it is something and so it is making a you know a mobile experience to get you know sports information like whatever it is and so it's that type of story that just needs to be i think the bait and that emotional concept, because we've been telling stories since before the wheel. Yeah. I mean, so much has been just exactly. recycled. I mean, emojis ain't nothing but some digital hieroglyphics. <laughs> so we talk about that and have Zoom reactions and, and battling through it like all day, right? And that shit's fun. So it's just, if we focus on what experience do we want consumers to have and the story we use as the vehicle to tell it, then that's the funding, I think, it sells itself once you sell the experience as opposed to the technology, I think. Like, that's always something that I'm at least super interested in, in terms of, like, the media psychology aspect of that. And, like, all right, well, what's how do, how do you make something stick with consumers? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think... Right. Yeah, I think all that's, like, 100. Um, and, you know, I'm just... I'm spending a lot of time lately thinking about, you know, where where is the money going to be made in the future, right? Like we're looking mm -hmm. at like the last 12 months have seen like this collapse of the media universe for sure. Um, and like, I think we spend, it's funny, you know, I was on the board of black girls code and, you know, always had these, you know, my thoughts around, yes, we should teach black girls to code. It's an important skill. And we're nearing the closing of that window where knowing how to code isn't going to be important but being able mm. to create, <laughs> you know, create yes. and be entrepreneurial is going to be really the important skill. Um, and now we're seeing no code software pop up and everything else. Um, so in some ways it's like, can we do black girls no code? Um, because like, huh. there's so much more that we could be doing. And, you know, we are right. naturally just, like black and brown people. We're creative storytellers. Like that's what's gotten us through all this shit. Like we've had to make meaning of, just centuries, Pain. centuries of bullshit. Um, and so it's like, how That's are right. we? Yeah. I mean, just centuries of bullshit. Um, and pain, plight. Yeah. Yeah. Struggle. Plunder. You know, we're like yeah. our whole, our whole history is like a damn pirate movie. Um, so, <laughs> yes. so like, yes. you know, why? And, and again, like, <laughs> why would I want, little kids to think about being engineers, which is great if they love it. But I would much rather have them understand how to leverage technology and, and the new modes of storytelling to be able to do the shit they really want to do um, and make money from it. 
Um, and so it's not just about like storytelling, it's about building containers and vehicles for monetization because we're still looking at people capitalizing on our labor and say it again yeah, and make like, money from making it. Making money on, you know, like, I, yeah. like really you know, curious. sadly, yeah. Sadly, we are the perpetuators of some of this, you know, because our parents, I know, you know, uh, generationally, the idea of what that means to be successful is yes. not necessarily rooted in our power right. and what we possess. It is connected directly to what other people have. And mm -hmm. wanting that to be what is considered success. Um, and, and that is a mind shift that I'm very happy to see, I think, is happening now. Start to um, shift. That yeah. we mm -hmm. are recognizing. That, yeah, I'm seeing that shift. And I'm happy about that because our parents are the dream killers. <laughs> our, our parents are the dream killers. Our parents are the ones who tell us, no, you can't write because there's never going to be any money in writing. You need to yeah. go and do this, you know, get this degree or do this other thing that they've seen other people do. That's real. Um, so <laughs> I'm just happy to see that shifting. Yeah. I mean, when I was 17, I told my dad I wanted to get my CDL and drive a big truck around the country. He probably should have stumped on that dream. I mean, that was probably just, you know, <laughs> that was probably a good idea. <laughs> like, I mean, I think, you know, my niece wants to be an influencer. Like she wants to be YouTube famous. And I'm like, instead of being like, you shouldn't do that. And there are a whole host of reasons why she shouldn't. It's like, what can we do to, to say, like, you can be an influencer and build platforms, but you can do that and make money. Because um, like white people have been doing, been influencers forever. Hmm. You know, Michael Jordan was the original mm -hmm. influencer. Um, I'm saying. So, you know, how do we understand, like, that's actually a long line of, of viable work options. Um and viable services. Uh, but I think we're, I think we still haven't really wrapped our hands around the entire conversation about how, how we make money and how, um, how black bodies have been capitalized throughout history, I think is, is the other piece in our stories and the way we approach things and everything from like, you know, blackplanet.com, uh, you know, being the predecessor to Facebook. And that now you've got Mark Zuckerberg, who has done nothing but steal other people's ideas throughout his entire career. Um, you know, yep. blackplan.com was based on call and response in church. So, you know, it's a platform that you can see a way of interacting online that is rooted deeply in, in putting words out into a space and having people respond to it, which is all, which is all social media is. Mm-hmm. Basso. Yep. <laughs> Basso. Basso. Brilliant mm -hmm. headlines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to have to have a whole nother conversation just about generating wealth in black and brown communities mm -hmm. and how do we create that type of sustainable wealth for our community and in one that, you know, counters and tries to combat, like you said, the things of, of taking credit for black story and innovation for profit, but we don't get any cred for it mm -hmm. or any wealth for it. You know, like we see other communities doing that all the time. So how do we do that for ourselves? Mm -hmm. And certainly Crux is the artistic vision of, of of beginning that conversation. 
and that's why I'm like so so like pinching yourself is what you know Joanna said and it's like and I'm doing that too and like the fact that we're having these types of conversations and unconference unmeaning and meeting and just having that freedom I think that really is what unleashing black imagination is right like we're living it we'll definitely continue these conversations and and we're following your lead and helping just try and you know facilitate these types of dialogues and and supporting each other so that was our conversation with co-founder of crux lauren ruffin or the duke of un what did she say the duke of the duke of nothing i think the duke of, yes. yeah duke of nothing nothingness <laughs> or no <Nothing>. order <laughs> like that just that i loved that conversation we could have duke of nonsense is what nonsense we're getting from that was it right duke uh, yes duke of nonsense and i just loved that conversation and the entire flow of it we'll have to have her on again because we clearly could go on and on but what were some of the key takeaways from you in that because i have a hundred i have so many of them as well but what stands out for me the most right at this moment is the journey to crux um and pretty much how getting laughed out of rooms did not stop Lauren at all from pursuing this whole idea that she had. And I think we can all learn a lot from that, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The journey, it, it always seems like wine is involved anytime something is created. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the, the journey of Crux, the fact that she didn't take a hundred no's as an indication of her value and the power that she knew she could empower other people with that mm -hmm. gift i love that because yeah. there's a level of self-confidence that many marginalized communities black people black women specifically have that is so much stronger or more weighted on us than others that impact our value that negatively influence what we think we're capable of. Our sense of agency gets diluted and impacts, you know, everything about us mentally. And the fact that she was like, nah, fuck that. I'm not going to let that stop. No, no, That's no. Right. right. Like it's empowering as a black woman, right? Like seeing it that. Really, like, really, really empowering. Yes. Yeah. Like I'm not going to stop. And the fact that, the whole meaning behind unconference and unmeeting, I love that because there's something freeing about knowing I can enter a space, not knowing that I have to perform. It's anti-performativeness, if that's a word, because right. we always have like to feel like we have to be performative, right? Like because of the stereotypes right. that are about, and you know, that are attached to us, that are ignorant to begin with. So this is right. like a counter being performative. Like I can just show up with other people who are not going to have an agenda or some construct narrative already about me and what I'm capable of. And, but we're going to be able to enter free like that and then leave as a collaborator and potentially with something that can be funded. I've got support now. And that's so like it's 2021. What the fuck? Like, where has this been? Right. <laughs> like, where has what? this been? I, I mean, I I can't tell you all of the projects that have just been sitting collecting dust because I really didn't feel that I had a team to back me. 
and mm-hmm. I do now. I and do it takes now. a village. Yeah. Yes. So now we we do now. And I swear, every time we meet, I see any of you from in this team, I am always, I got post-its galore and like notebooks now, but it's like, it, it, there's life beyond this post-it now because right. I have all kind of old notebooks and bulletin boards behind me and all around me in my office and stuff of stuff that's just collecting dust, right? But now I've pulled so much of that out and have been reinvigorated with a passion knowing that these things can come to fruition now. Exactly. There's a community that wants it. There's a community that is encouraging me, us, all of it. I love it. It's beautiful. It really, really is. I feel like a badass now. I'm a badass. (laughs) Absolutely. Like we, you know, we leading (laughs) from the front here. Like, I I love it. We are badasses because doing something that ain't done before, that is what a badass is to me, you know? Right. That and walking away from an explosion behind you in slow motion with a trench coat. <laughs> That's the only other thing that I think can be associated with a badass. A badass, but, right. Absolutely. But make sure you uh, subscribe to the podcast. This is the first of many, and we are super, super excited because throughout the season, we will explore what extended reality and its potential in working towards black and brown empowerment, autonomy, and wealth is all about. We'll be talking with all kind of experts from the BIPOC, Black, Brown, LGBTQ community, experts, creatives, technologists, leaders in the space that are actually doing the damn thing. So we will be looking in depth at immersive projects and experiences that are made by and for Black and Brown people. And we'll be talking about our relationship with technology as these folks as well, including some of the really, really important things like artificial intelligence to surveillance and privacy, antitrust, avatars, all the things. This is CruxCast. And as a teaser for our next episode, next time we have the pleasure of being joined by Kamal Sinclair and Jessica Clark, who will be joining us to talk about the remake of Future in our image. God forbid, right? So follow us on social media at CruxXR, both on Instagram and Twitter. Check out our website, crux.black, and keep it locked here. Thank you for listening to CruxCast. <laughs>